it's good to reevaluate your allocation every once in a while, right? You know, certainly like after a bull market like we're in now, right? Like if, let's say hypothetically, right, if things cool off at the end of this year or, or early 2022, you know, kind of taking a step back and then, you know, thinking, okay, how are things likely to develop over the next three to five years, right? You know, how do I want to place my bets now? I'm probably betting on slightly different things than I was in 2017, right? Just because the market's evolving, right? So the trends have changed. And I, I, I know more, I understand more. That's what I'll try and do at the end of this year is, you know, think a little bit more critically about what I want to place bets on in sort of a, a medium term time horizon. And then again, like make them and sit back and let it play out. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Young Rug, a.k.a. Rava Cantlis, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to my new friend, Andy Beal. He's a former lawyer turned super crypto nerd who covers trends on blockchain and cryptocurrency in one of my newsletters I really enjoy, 30,000feet.substack.com. So if you've ever wanted to learn about crypto, about balancing portfolios, is this going to last or not, you're going to enjoy this episode. Here's three gigantic things. Number one, how would Andy invest $1 million right now? Two, is blockchain going to stick around? Did Elon screw us? What's really going on? He'll talk about that. Three, how to determine the shelf life of all these altcoins and weird-ass friends of yours that got rich, but now they're poor and they have to get jobs at McDonald's. You're going to enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the episode, two things to subscribe, youtube.com slash okdork. I put out juicy-ass content to help you on your business journey and have fun. That's youtube.com slash okdork and appshumo, aka appsumo.com. Number one digital marketplace for entrepreneurs, so buy any software you need to start and grow your business, as well as sell it. If you're making stuff, we want to promote it for you. That's appsumo.com. Also, a special pre-show shout-out listener, Multifamily Matt of America. That's a tongue twister, Multifamily Matt. Noah Kagan, a.k.a. Mr. Miata. Yes, great nickname, a.k.a. Dr. Disruption. Been watching your channel on YouTube since coming across during lockdown, and he has a lot of other nice things to say. Damn, man. Thank you so much, Multifamily Matt, and every other one of you gorgeous-ass listeners that appreciate the feedback. If you want to shout out any future episode, leave a review wherever you're listening to the show. I check every single one of them. Are you uh, getting drafted in the spring league? <laughs> man, the long hair and the hat, yeah. I wish I had your hair. Well, this has been going on since about March of last year. Definitely the longest I've ever had it. The girlfriend likes it, so we're, we're keeping it. Do you make yourself happy or do you make the, the partner happy? I think making your partner happy makes you happy most of the time. <laughs> that's that's really, probably why I'm single. You really love that person, yeah. <laughs> so you made her happy. She likes the hair? Yeah, she, she was the original inspiration, although I think at this point I, I like it too. So probably more than she does. Hell yeah, man. How you living? I'm good. I'm good. We're loving Boise. We've been on this extended, you know, road trip around the U.S. in our SUV with our two dogs. Well, not now two dogs. We started with one dog. We picked up a stray dog in uh, Phoenix, which was where we were last month. So we've got two, which is uh, it's a lot on a road trip. Are you in a like an RV or you guys? Just a regular SUV. Yeah. We're staying at Airbnbs in every city. We're not, you know, camping out. So it's a little bit more glamorous than you're probably imagining i have a buddy who has like one of those like big sprinter vans like fully decked out and um he just drives them to the resort and then stays at the resort <laughs> <laughs> i'm like uh you know the kind of the point of it is uh you use the van use the van yeah i've got a bunch of crypto buddies that have uh done that too they've they outfitted the sprinter van with bunks they went down to baja they they surf that's the life What's your life like? Pretty boring. I mean, we 
I do the same thing every day, regardless of where I'm at. So up until about a month ago, you know, it was pretty intense work. I left my my old job at EY about a month ago, and um, congrats. And have been using using the last month. Yeah, you and Tynan would definitely say, say congrats, congrats to that. Um, so no, it was it was definitely a it was definitely a, a move in the right direction for me, just career path standpoint. It's great. I've been in like research mode for the last month, which I I haven't really got to do, you know, since I started working. I think in my you know mid twenties, right, where I just have you know huge blocks of time during the day to kind of learn and explore and you know reach out to people and ask questions, and so it's good. And trying to write more as well. Yeah. What about you? You feel like you're you're you got a zillion irons in the fire moving, moving fast. Yeah. I move very fast, but I don't, I don't have that many things in the fire. It is interesting to think about. Uh, so my main thing is AppSumo.com. Are you familiar with that? I know of it. That's great. It's better than not even knowing of it. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. People are like, hey, I didn't see you on your YouTube. I'm like, dude, everyone's got their own life. Certain people, if I make it really great, I hope they watch stuff or know what I'm doing. But everyone's favorite authors themselves is what I think. I've just focused on AppSumo. And then lately, it's a digital marketplace for entrepreneurs, which has been awesome. Honestly, it's been like a game changer for someone like yourself. It's it's like as you're starting your entrepreneur journey, like you do your sub stack and it's like, how do we, you know, accelerate your path? Like what tools or knowledge or even maybe in the future, it's like promoting your, your newsletter on AppSumo for other entrepreneurs. Yeah, definitely something I'm, I'm spending more time thinking about. So I love your newsletter, by the way. I want more. Like I actually was like, damn. And so yeah, I do YouTube. I do YouTube as like sharing how I'm how we're running the company and growing the business to teach others. But yeah, your newsletter is like it's once in a while. It's like you you keep me feeding. Once a week when I was working, I was barely getting it out once a week. It was a struggle. I mean, I was pulling, you know, close to all nighters on like Friday and Saturday night to get that thing out. Cause it takes me a, I'm a slow writer. I wish I could bang them out in, you know, a couple hours, but it usually takes me, you know, on average like eight to ten. If it's a crazy week, my Friday and Saturday nights are, are dedicated to that. But it's been a lot of fun. It helps me form opinions about things that are happening, which is really important. And it also gives me a stronger conviction about things that I, I think are going to happen, which has so many has so many benefits, especially on the investing side. How did you finally quit? You go to your boss and you're like, so you know that fake virtual money that everyone's talking about? I've been doing crypto since 2013, first as an attorney and then as a consultant for the last five years at, at Ernst & Young. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So EY and, you know, all the other major consulting firms have, have blockchain practices. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm biased. I think EY's was, was, was the best, but um, yeah, I was doing that for the last five years. So I was, you know, I was on a crypto focused team. So fortunately that was my day job, but we only got to touch a certain part of the industry. And I wanted to move back towards sort of the early stage side of it. And when you work for a big company like that, it's just tough to, it's tough to touch, you know, the edge for a lot of reasons. We were really expensive. They don't need a lot of the services that we provided yet. So, you know, I had to wait to work with a lot of the companies and, and projects that I wanted to work with. So in career path standpoint, I just, I wanted to jump into the industry. I had supported it for a while. I wanted to actually be be in it. I always had a little imposter syndrome because of that. I loved what I did, but I there was always a little bit of doubt about whether I could be really successful like going into the industry and actually, you know, helping build something. So I was very comfortable sort of being on the outside and just and supporting it because, you know, it's it's uh frankly it's it's lower risk and you still get amazing visibility and eventually I think I just came to a point. The newsletter helped a lot actually. 
helping me, I think, sort of build build some confidence in my own perspective on where things are going. And I think once I had that, the next move was pretty obvious. So it was interesting to see how those different activities sort of, you know, sort of coalesced and, you know, kind of motivated me to, to finally jump or, or give me the confidence to finally jump. I don't know if this is like a, you know, a, a typical feeling that a lot of people have, but um, I know imposter syndrome, particularly in the, in the tech space is pretty common. I still have it regularly. <laughs> I'm like, and then I, I will say though, like I noticed, you know, you're saying writing, I think teaching or like formulating your, you know, form, uh, crystallizing your thoughts. You're like, Oh, if I teach or I write it out, I'm like, maybe I do know this. And then as you like, I've been back a little bit more day to day working on AppSumo stuff the past week or so. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm like kind of good at this. But sometimes you kind of, I guess you, you question yourselves. I wonder why, why is that as humans, we do that? Like what's the, I wonder if there's like an evolution reason. I'm sure that there is. I mean, I think Self-doubt is very common. I also think we're just very predisposed to compare ourselves to other people. Mm. I certainly do that. I don't know if that's something that you you catch yourself doing. I do it in so many like the platforms we use sort of naturally do it for us, right? Follower yeah. counts, views, Subs, salary, so. title, you know, how successful your kids are, you know, whatever it is, right? You know, what school you went to. They're all comparisons. Well, I was thinking, did you think Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos like literally were the best? We're at the top. You know, like, there ain't there ain't no one that I'm I'm the baldest. I guess they're both divorced, but that's a whole other story. The thing that was interesting, I, I wonder for evolution, it's like maybe if you thought you were a really good fighter, but then you go to a lion to kind of kill it and it eats you, and you're like, maybe it's a way to like keep yourself sharp. Um, otherwise, you get kind of like overly confident. All relative, yeah. I will say, you know, it's funny with Austin these days. There's this like crazy housing, you know, everywhere. Boise's booming. Boise's booming, yeah. Crazy housing things. And I've had a really interesting experience where like I got my house uh, in January and I will say once I got that, I kind of stopped comparing. I wanted everybody else to get it too. And I think that that's kind of true with money. Like when you get to some point where you have, you feel like you have enough, which is, it sucks to say if someone's poor, they're like, like, you know, fuck you, you know, and what's enough. But when you have enough, you're like, why doesn't everyone, let's get everyone like to the point that they're, you know, you feel like you have your mask on, like, let's get everyone their masks, Oxford, not the actual COVID mask. Yeah. There's a good book called The Psychology of Money, which talks a little oh, bit about which talks a little bit about this. I, I, I assume I assumed you would be a fan. I love it. Yeah. What'd you like about it? I thought that it gave some great foundational principles for how to think about money and saving and wealth, right? Like just like some core principles that are sort of, you know, person agnostic and that everybody can apply. And that if you understand those at a young age, you're so much better equipped to navigate things the older that you that you get. You know, it's kind of like the the 10,000 hour rule. I feel like if you, if you start when you're young and you are you have an approach and you stick with it and you're consistent, you can over time accrue and compound like tons of of wealth, right? But it's just, you know, it's a long it's a long game. It's very counter to everything you're seeing today too with like Robin Hood and crypto, right? Where like everybody's looking Shiba for coin day trading, right? Like, you know, over time, those things are, are proven to not really work. I was doing some research for one of my issues and the uh, overwhelming majority of day traders, you know, lose money over a certain time horizon, right? They may make one great trade and, you know, kill it in a given month, you know, or in a given year. But over time, it's really, really hard to beat the market, especially if you're not, you know, a, a true pro. No, a, a, tr- a professional. This waiter at a restaurant two weeks ago was like, yeah, you know, I work here, but I'm really a professional day trader. I was like, can I have more ice water? 
<laughs> it was just, it was little, it was the Robin Hood group. But I think what I was trying to, I, I thought about it last night. I was up late. I was talking to Tynan and we were, he was, you know, was reading this white paper, a research paper about, you know, all the new Ethereum things coming up. And it was like 1.30 a.m. And I was like, holy crap, I got to go to sleep. I'm talking with Andy. I'm excited to kind of connect with him. And then I started buying Ethereum and like, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like laying on the couch and I was like, bro, what are you, what are you doing here? me i was talking not to you me you're not on my couch i don't think so <laughs> i was like what are you trying to get more money because I, I feel like you know we talk about enough and it's just an interesting thing were you, were you fomoing in last night is that what was going on no last i did i fomo in i fomoed in on saturday okay <laughs> last night was the this paper was talking about how ethereum with uh the, i think it's the 1559 mm-hmm. eip and then with the uh, pos stuff coming out there's going to be less available and it's going to be deflationary. And so there's less coins and then demand, even if it stays same, plus it was staking. And I was like, yeah, it's probably a good time. To-. But then I, I did ask myself, like, well, why do you need more? Like, I have a good amount and I'm, I'm satisfied, but I guess I'm not really satisfied if I'm like wanting more of it. To, I don't know. It almost feels like a game of sorts at this point. Yeah, I think that's that's a part of it. Like, I don't know. I think we're always every human's probably searching for more financial security on some level. Right. At some point, like you definitely have it, right? Like if you're a billionaire, you can probably sit back and say, I'm, I'm set, right? Basic needs are met, but um, everybody's number is a little bit different. And, you know, you're always going to look for, we're, we're always going to look for more, more security, whether it's, you know, with our relationship or money or whatever. That's a cool way. Yeah. More security. Well, it's funny. Like a few weeks ago, Tynan bought MobileCoin. Okay. And he was talking about it. Dude, I feel like, are you in any like WhatsApp or text groups, by the way? I feel like that's how all investing is happening these days. It's like, Hey, dumbass, I did this dumb thing. Everyone's like, really? Is that the new dumbass thing we should all be doing? But Tynan bought mobile coin. And I, I felt so, I almost felt a little ashamed because I was like mad. I was like, you're my, one of my best friends. You didn't tell me. How could you not tell? And then I'm like, I, I like apologize. It's like, yo, that was like the dumbest thing I've done like today. Yeah. How information spreads is really interesting now. I mean, it, you have the social networks, right? And those are basically the platform for information sharing. And it just so happens that now, more and more information sharing is about, you know, sort of financial information and financial advice and financial strategy, and which is pretty cool, right? There's a couple of really cool investing platforms out there that essentially combine the social dynamics of, you know, Facebook and Instagram and things like that and leaderboards and the investing experience so that you can, you can see what the pros are doing. You know, you can copy their portfolios. It's bringing that influencer, you know, sort of concept to investing, right? Where people can build, they can build a following and not be a, you know, you don't have to be a professional trader at, you know, Goldman Sachs or you don't have to be Kathy Wood at, you know, ARK Invest to to have a following. Um, You can leverage. What's the site? Leverage social media tools. So there's actually one for DeFi that's coming out. I think it's in private beta right now. It's called Prism, P-R-Y-S-M, which I'm really excited about and love the team over there. There's one for stocks as well. It also has crypto on it. The one for stocks that's up right now and you can use is called Common Stock. And it's basically a, it's an aggregator. So you, you can connect all of your brokerage accounts and crypto accounts to Common Stock. And you can make your portfolio and trades public if you want to. And it tracks your performance. It ranks you against other other users you can try and build a, a following there. Prism's cool. And there are a couple other ones too. And eToro has something like this too, which is eToro's oh, been, been around for a while. Have you found anything or noticed anything from this? I don't use them 
it just takes me sort of forming a new kind of investing habit. I'm more like my approach is make some long-term bets, sit back and, and wait. I don't really like trading often. I just don't like to spend my time thinking about it. I know that I make better decisions when I'm sort of outside of the moment and, you know, thinking clearly and can like bet on something, bet on a tra- like a long-term trend. If my emotions get into it, I always make the wrong decision. So can you walk me through the, a recent one? I'll give you an example of one that didn't work out well. I mean, I think Bitcoin and Ethereum are, are obviously two, two cryptos that I've held for a while, for many, many years, and not really done anything with just because I have so much conviction in the long-term value proposition of both of those, right? One that I didn't do so well with was Solana, which is another, another layer one blockchain that is faster and more scalable than Ethereum at the moment. And I had heard about it last year, and I had three friends who I all respect had all mentioned it in the span of, you know, a week or two. And I think a lot of people have this where they, you know, if you hear something enough, uh, it's usually a sign that there's, you know, there's something in the air. You either need to dive a little bit deeper into it or, you know, there's clearly some momentum in the market because, you know, there's there's a buzz. So I bought some, didn't really have the conviction about, you know, the long-term opportunity. And so when it wasn't performing on par with some of the other cryptocurrencies, I think late last year, early this year, I sold it for, I'm sure I went back into Ethereum or Bitcoin or something like that. And then almost immediately after I did that, Solana starts to go, starts to go crazy, right? I had just gotten in a little, a little early and the groundswell had to build, right? And now it's, you know, it's doing extremely well. And as I've learned more about it, I totally see the long-term value proposition. There's an amazing community behind it, a ton of support. That was one that had I done a little bit more research and thinking up front and had I had a strong conviction before I put money in, I would have been able to hold it through the period where it was underperforming relative to everything else, right? But I didn't have that belief. And so I ended up making a, you know, sort of a day traders, you know, decision to just sort of get in and out, right? I was looking for a quick buck. So I went against my own, you know, usual strategy. And, you know, as I could have predicted, right, it didn't work out. Anyway, always good to talk about your losses. Well, I like the debrief thing. Like my friend, Nick Gray. Do you know Nick? I do know Nick, yeah. I think what Nick does, I could be wrong, but I think he does debriefs. So like after the Solano kind of thing, he would write down like how I made the decision, why I did it at that time. So in the future trades, it would, uh... I was curious with that for you. What was your process before you even ever made the purchase to make that decision? There's not a lot of science to this, right? But I really will pay attention to something if I hear it enough in the market from from people that I respect. I had heard Solana and I heard a little bit about, you know, sort of the value proposition and why it was why it was better. And it was over the course of a couple of weeks, right? And so that was the trigger that, you know, sort of put it on my radar. And then I think at the time I was also just I was looking to take a couple flyers on a few things. And so I put some money in there. The thing that I was missing though was one, I didn't do the research myself didn't have my own opinion about it. I was trusting other people's opinions. So not having my own opinion was a big one. And then because of that, I didn't have the belief to hold when the seas get choppy, right? Which are two things that I have with things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and others. And so I've, I've been able to sort of ride the wave, right? Getting on that roller coaster is fun. If you know, you know, at the end of the ride, 
you're going to be in a good in a good place, right? Even if that ride is five years or or ten years, right? Riding the wave can be can be fun if you have a really strong conviction about where you end up. I didn't have those things with Solana, so had I if I had to do it over again, I probably would have made a few more calls, talked to some people, done a lot of my own research, and then if after that I had a strong conviction that I thought, okay, I think I can see around the corner. I have a, a sense of where this is going. I understand how it relates to everything else. And I'm willing to, to make a bet on this. And with the mindset that I'm willing to make a, at a minimum, a year long bet on this, right? Knowing that like, we're probably going into a, a bull market in, in 2021, you know, see how it goes. What's your research process? Is it like you go and like find papers, you go on Twitter, you go on YouTube, you call people? It's interesting, different people's approaches. So like for crypto, for me, a lot of times it's like, who are the people that are the richest I know from it? <laughs> and then I try to just understand a little, I have my own conviction, like I bought it and I use it and I try to see if I get what it is. And other as well, like, hey, well, how are you thinking about it? That people that are spending their whole days thinking about this, because I'm spending my whole day thinking about like AppSumo and YouTube. And I don't really, you know, crypto is not my day to day. So I'm curious how you, you think about that. Intuitively, I, I knew this probably earlier on, but I, I recently was able to I think articulate it better using something, being a user or a customer of something and having like a, a sort of attack, you know, tile experience with it, like gives you a lot of instant perspective on like, whether this is something that is going to be big or not. If you used an iPhone in 2007, I think most people coming out of that first user experience are, are thinking like, well, wow, this is clearly the future of smartphones. Like this is going to be massive. I'm going to buy Apple stock. Same thing happened to me in 2012, one of my law school professors had bought a Tesla and we were out to dinner one night and he said, you guys want to go for a spin? And we did, you know, went for like a 15 minute car ride. And I was like, well, yeah, I got out. And this is clearly the future. This is the future of cars, right? It was just um, the user experience sort of hit you over the day. I didn't have to do any, I didn't have to read anything or talk to people, right? It was just, I, I was the experiment. And it was obvious to me in the moment that, you know, this was better than everything else that was out there. The same thing happened with DeFi, right? You know, if you were experimenting with DeFi in 2018, just the user experience, you know, is so much different than how we interact with financial products and services today. It's clearly the future of finance, particularly on the retail side. It was easier to place bets after having had that experience. I think if you don't have like a, a personal experience with something, then the research I think is more important. At least for me, writing really helps, right? Like if I can think through it and explain it and teach it, like you said, you know, being able to understand something well enough so that you can teach it to someone else, I think is, you know, is one of the, one of the litmus tests I use, right? Because if it doesn't make sense to you. I know as you're writing it out. Yeah, it's hard to, <laughs> yeah, hard to, hard to convince others. Two things with that. And I, I do have more technical stuff. Do you mind if I ask you, Tyne and I were like, oh, we should ask Andy about this, if that's okay. Yeah, I, I can't promise I'll be able to to answer the Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like a SAT, uh, it's not the LSAT, like you can't, you, you're going to pass no matter what. <laughs> Two things before I get into the more technical ones. One, I was curious, when you make a bet, how do you do your bets? Like if you're like, hey, I have a long-term conviction that X, whether it's crypto or Tesla or whatever. And the reason I ask is because I, I would say that I'm a wussy. I would say that I'm a penis, right? A penis is very flaccid and, and limp most of the time. Uh, and that's how I do my investing. I'm like, eh, just, and I dabble. I don't, I don't YOLO it. I never have. I never, I don't think I ever will. I do it with an AppSumo because that's my realm. I understand the, the online marketing, online startup world. But with like crypto, I bought my first amount for 5000 and then I bought $500 a month for the past five years. That's and great. It's done well. It's that's done great. well. Yeah, it's been, but that's just my style. 
And it's not good or bad. It's just what, what I can sleep at night. I guess I was curious how you approach when you're like, hey, Tesla or these things, do you are like, I'm going to put 80% of my net worth. I'm going to like, you know, barbell strategy is something a lot of people are talking about these days, like 90% and what boring and then 10% and crazy, or maybe it's the opposite of that. I don't even know. So I think I have the same approach as you. If there's a particular industry that you think you understand really well, you know, you have yours, I have mine, you know, we will invest most of our time and energy in that. And for me, it's been crypto. And so that actually is the only industry where I really feel comfortable investing. I can put money into an index fund and just let someone else, you know, manage it or, or you know, let, you know, just sort of bet on the overall market, right? Or I can pick a stock or two for fun. But I don't, I don't understand those markets nearly as well as I understand blockchain and, and crypto. So like you, I have, I have put most of my money in this industry because it's, it's what I understand. And I also started out with very, I started out with very little. I was a, you know, fresh out of law school. I had a bunch of student debt. I wasn't making that much money. I think I was making like 60 grand in LA, which I was barely living off of. And I borrowed 20 grand from my parents back then too, to invest. And they were nice enough to, to let me do that. I started with very little. It just so happens that it, that particular, you know, investment has grown over the years. And like you, I've, I'll regularly put more in. Yeah, there, there's nothing else out there that I understand as well as this. So I really can't justify investing in in anything else because I don't understand it as as well. Maybe that's too simplistic, but well, I guess I was saying, do you go all in at one time? Do you do monthly buys, and then also, how was it asking your parents for money as a grown man? I hesitate to call my my 25 year old self a a grown man. I was still in that sort of you know school mindset. I'm pretty sure I was still on my you know, their health insurance. They had helped me out with rent through through law school. I'd like to say I was self-sufficient, but um, if I'm being honest, like, you know, I, I was lucky and I, I had a bunch of help, right? I mean, they, you know, they funded part of my law school too. So yeah, you know, I will never claim to be self-made or, and certainly won't claim to be self-sufficient back then. But um, I asked them for a loan. I've paid it back since then. I don't remember when I did, but um I don't remember it being awkward. I, I think I remember it being something I was really excited about. And it was also something I wanted to get them into. And fortunately, my, my parents did put some money in back then. And that's been great. So yeah, I, you know, I think I was sort of blinded by the excitement of it and probably didn't think too much about, you know, asking them for money. It, it, it was more of a, hey, mom and dad, this is an opportunity. I would like to sort of double down on this because I had just sort of doubled down from a career standpoint. I had told my boss, listen, I want to do this crypto thing. I had also talked to him about doing cannabis stuff. I, I wanted, those were the two industries that I wanted to work on as a lawyer. Cause I, I just, I had a sense that both were going <laughs> to, both were going to pop. And he was like, Andy, the reputational risk, you know, being both a crypto lawyer and a cannabis lawyer back in 2013, you know, was a little too high, which I respected. So he said, choose one, you can do one or the other. I chose crypto because I, I knew some people in that industry. That's kind of how it happened. So yeah, I was just excited about it. Wanted my parents to be equally excited. So, and you got to have some skin in the game, I think, to really, you know, to really feel like you're a part of it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say with crypto, like in this whole everything going, you know, there's, I've been alive for almost 40 years. And so I've seen probably like four or five, like tidal waves, right. You know, like Facebook apps, iPhone apps, mobile, this crypto experience. There's definitely been just different internet mm-hmm. group on wave, which, you know, AppSumo caught on and, and now is taken off from. It's uh, definitely interesting to see these different waves of uh, industries and wealth generation. Tynan want me to, wanted me to ask uh, about urine. 
because I keep hearing more about urine finance and it's, I don't quite get what the hell's going on there and what we're supposed to be doing with it. Do you understand it at all or you know, researching that? Yeah. So urine's a, a DeFi protocol. Very simply, I think about, you can think about DeFi protocols as like vending machines on that live on the blockchain, right? They'll live on these, live on these decentralized networks and the vending machines do very, very specific things, right? Just like a, you know, a soda machine in a, in a break room only does one thing. It dispenses, you know, bottles of soda. It's a very, very simple software program, right? Uh, so DeFi protocols are the same thing, right? They're coded to do something very specific. In the case of DeFi, right, they just happen to be, they happen to facilitate certain types of financial transactions, right? Instead of dispensing soda, they're, they're facilitating a loan. Or in the case of urine, I like to think about urine as a, as a decentralized hedge fund. So it, it takes in money from investors. And so you can put in money, Tiny can put in money, I can put in money. We'll send stable coins or Ethereum into the urine smart contracts, right? And then urine takes that money. It puts it to work in DeFi according to certain strategies. Just like a hedge fund takes investor money, puts it to work in the market based on certain strategies that the fund managers have come up with, right? I'm not sure what, what strategies Yearn is executing today, but um, in the early days, you would put in, let's say you've, you, you put in $100,000 worth of Ethereum into Yearn, into one of the vaults. What would happen is that money actually would go to another DeFi protocol, MakerDAO. It would get locked up as collateral. They would borrow money against it. They would use that money to either lend out on, you know, uh, some of these lending platforms generate both interest and, you know, they would yield farm with it. And then at some point, you know, they could unwind those positions and then they would give you back a, you know, your principal plus a return, right? So the money you put in urine is, is being, it's immediately leaving urine and being put to work out in the, the DeFi ecosystem, right? Just like a bank will, if you put a hundred grand into a savings account, it's not going to sit there, right? The bank's immediately going to pull that money out and it's going to lend it out in the form of a mortgage, a credit card, a student loan. I think what's interesting is it's so cool to see that all this DeFi crypto stuff, it's kind of like what happens with our regular dollar. I hate when people say fiat. I'm like, shut up, you charcuterie eater. But it's like, it's stuff that's happening with, with traditional money that's now happening with the, you know, the digital money. So what are they actually doing? So if I deposit my ETH here, like on, I'm, I'm on your note finance. Like if I put, one ETH into like, you know, wrapped ETH or something like that. What what happens with it? Like they loan it out? Let me start by talking about what happens when a bank when a bank takes your money, right? So if you put we use the price of ETH, right? If you put four thousand dollars into your checking account or your savings account, while that balance shows up on your, you know, online banking statement or on your mobile app, right? That money's actually being put to work in the market by the bank, right? A bank is just a is just a fancy word, you know, first fancy word for a lender, basically, right? They take in deposits from customers like us, and then they lend all that money out on the other side to people that want to access it and are willing to pay interest on it, right? So banks' job is to take money from people and put it in the hands of companies and people who value it more, right? If you're not spending that money, the bank can give it to someone else who values it more in that moment and make a return on it, right? So the people on the other side of the equation are small businesses, people who want credit cards, people who are buying a house or a car, right? Who need financing, right? A bank sits in the middle and brokers that that deal. Similarly, right? If you're an investor and you write a check to a hedge fund, right? And say, invest my money and make it grow over time. 
a hedge fund is going to take that money and they're going to put it to work in the market, right? They're going to buy stocks or they're going to buy bonds or they're going to buy, you know, maybe they invested in crypto, right? Whatever they can do to generate a return on that. And they usually have some sort of, you know, sort of overarching strategy that they're executing, right? You know, there's an opportunity in the market they want to take advantage of. They're taking your money and they're, they're going to capitalize on that opportunity, right? So urine is basically a smart contract version of a hedge fund, right? It takes in money from investors and then it puts that money to work based on certain strategies. Do they tell you the strategies? Like I see right here, I can deposit in the ETH. Yes. There, if you dive a little bit deeper into the, into the forums, you can probably get on discord or telegram too. And like, just ask, you know, the, ask the urine community how that money's being invested. Or if you're really technically savvy, you can go to the urine smart contracts and kind of see the funds flow, right? Because all, all this money movement is, is public if you want to look at it, right? So yeah, that, that money's going into those urine smart contracts, but then those smart contracts are, are investing your money based on a certain strategy, right? Just like a hedge fund manager would invest your money based on a certain strategy, right? This is like dumbass how we all, like people get robbed. It's like, so you put your money in, stuff happens, and then more money comes out. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there's an enormous amount of trust that you have to have as a, I think, a DeFi user right now. But the good thing is that, like, the smart contracts that make up all these DeFi protocols, like Urine, right? Most of them are, are, have gone through one or more security audits, right? So they've been tested by, you know, by some great outfits. And then there's transparency around where the money goes, right? Because it's all, all this, all this activity is on chain, right? It's all on the blockchain. It's all recorded on the blockchain. So you can see where all the money in the urine smart contracts is going. Another thing that gives me confidence is just that over time, as these systems become more battle tested, you sort of naturally develop more trust in them because they just have a longer track record of working. All right. Next technical one. That was great. I get it. I get the gist of it. I think yeah. That's kind of how I think about yeah, it. Yeah, I think the thing that you're saying too that I kind of connect with is like put in a, a few. I think if you're going to, you know, go YOLO, all these people who are YOLO, are, are they all poor? But uh, anyways, it, it's just like, I think it's like, try it out, see how it goes. And if it's something that you find, like Tiny was sending that a paper yesterday, I was like, oh my God, I, I can see and understand some of how these things are going to function versus like, I think the problem I have, including myself at times, like, I don't understand this is, I'm putting money in. So I think put a little bit in, test it and then invest in it. Next thing I was curious if you're from your experience is BlockFi safe? So I have a decent amount of money in this thing. And it's like they give 8% returns on USDC, which is dollar. And I'm like, I just keep waiting for it to lose all the money. So like you, I'm a I'm a BlockFi user. You know, to me, they're one of the, you know, they're one of the most sort of credible lending platforms in the market. Their model is it's similar to a bank, right? They take in your crypto, right? Whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDC whatever, right? And then they will do one of two things with it. Some of it, they just hold. They keep some of it and it sits idle. It's not generating a return. So it's the equivalent of just like stuffing it in the mattress, right? BlockFi doesn't custody their own crypto. They use Gemini, another exchange, right? Startup, you know, run by the Winklevoss twins. Gemini holds a lot of BlockFi assets. The other portion is lent out on the other end, right? Just like a bank lends out. BlockFi will lend out to usually market makers, right? People that are actively trading large amounts of crypto in the market. There are dozens of, you know, market makers in, in crypto. Some of the, you know, some of the biggest are like Alameda, Alameda Research and Jump Trading and things like that. So they will lend out your 
stable coins or your ETH, some portion of them are lent out to uh, market makers who are borrowing from BlockFi and paying interest on that. So if you're getting 8% on your stable coins in BlockFi, there's a good chance BlockFi is lending out those stable coins on the other side for, let's say, 10%. And then they're taking the 2% spread and they're giving you 8% back, right? So that's how they, that's how BlockFi makes money on that, right? They just, you know, there's a little bit of a margin built in when they lend it out on the other end. So they're just like a bank, right? They just, all they're, ta- all they're doing is they're taking money from you and me, right? Because we're not using it right now. And they're giving it to sort of large institutional traders that do want that money now for trading purposes, right? And are willing to pay interest on it. To address your question about the risk, there is liquidity risk, right? If one of those borrowers defaults, and let's say, you know, they borrowed, I don't know, $50 million, right? And they don't pay, they're unable to pay all that back, they go under the market crashes, right? Then there's a chance that BlockFi could end up with a, they could end up in a deficit, right? Like a balance sheet deficit, right? They owe more money to you and me than they have on their balance sheet, right? Because one of their borrowers defaulted on their loan. It's certainly possible. My understanding is they take collateral from their the people they borrow or the people they lend money to, right? So if you're one of those market makers, you're probably putting up some collateral, not just borrowing. So from an allocation standpoint, I'm probably a little more conservative, right? I have the bulk of my crypto portfolio in Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then I have much smaller positions, you know, in other other tokens. I'm confident that those two assets, Bitcoin and Ethereum, are going to be around in, you know, five years, right? So I'm more comfortable because I'm more long-term focused, right? I'm more comfortable with a larger percentage in those two. And then I, I have some smaller positions in, in other things. So, but I think it's good to, it's good to reevaluate your allocation every once in a while, right? You know, certainly like after a bull market like we're in now, right? Like, if, let's say, hypothetically, right, if things cool off at the end of this year or, or early 2022, you know, kind of taking a step back and then, you know, thinking, okay, how are things likely to develop over the next three to five years, right? You know, how do I want to place my bets now? I'm probably betting on slightly different things than I was in 2017, right? Just because the market's evolving, right? So the trends have changed. And I, I, I know more, I understand more. That's what I'll try and do at the end of this year is, you know, think a little bit more critically about what I want to place bets on in sort of a, a medium term time horizon. And then again, like make them and sit back and let it play out. Have you done these margin rates against your equities at all? No. So is this where you're, are you borrowing against your portfolio? So not crypto portfolio, but I've, I have some against my equities portfolio and those rates right now are 0.75%. I think what they're intended to be for trading, but you can use them for it. It's whatever you want. So on, on Schwab, you can take that rate out. And then for I have, I've had it out for years on, and use it for different things. Okay. I, a lot of people can do the ARB stuff where you take it like a million out at 0.75, throw that in BlockFi at 8%. The problem is for like $80,000, it's a lot of money, but I'm focused on AppSumo. AppSumo is like big money for me. Like this stuff is like fun. This is like my entertainment. So, okay, you have a million dollars. I gave you, can I just, I'll transfer you a million. Like, how do you, what are you going to do? And you have, you don't have to do shit with it. And you can't, I guess you could donate it to charity, but you have to do something with it. Either sit with it. Like, I guess, how would you think about it if you had an extra million dollars, like just passed to you today? Well, what's the, the underlying question is like, what is your goal with that, with that money? Do you want to invest it, for example, right? And if so, like, what is, it sounds like for you to sleep at night, right? You would need to invest that money based on your, strategy, right? Which is sort of buy things you believe in, 
buy things you're never going to sell, hold it for a long, hold it, you know, over a long time horizon, right? And not have to think about it day to day. You know, it's so weird, dude. I think because times are good now, I've become more risky, but I would say historic and maybe because I've gotten more money over the years. But generally, I just, I don't want to take risks with my money. I like making it, I guess, quote unquote, risky people would say, but I don't even think it's that risky. But I like, like when I invest it, I'm like, I just don't want to worry. That's my strategy as well. It might not look like that because I, you know, am heavily weighted in, in crypto. But to me, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't think it's risky. So the goal is to be a little bit more conservative with it, take a long-term approach. Is the question like, do you want to invest it in, in crypto or, or are you just talking about in, you know, sort of investment in general? Yeah. The way I've approached finance for probably about the 10, 15 years is just asset allocation. So it's like how much in cash, real estate, equities, and then risky. Mm-hmm. And my risky one was originally for the longest time, 5%, but because crypto's appreciated, it's now like at 30%. And my cash is at 5%. And then like real estate equities is somewhere in the 30s. Okay. So I'm kind of wondering if, I mean, this isn't my own decision based on goals and things like that, but like, you know, do I need to rebalance the allocation? And then, you know, if I want to deploy, you don't have to deploy the capital, but is there places to deploy that I'm like, you know, we're potentially the best return over the you know, long time. But I guess I'm curious, risky stuff. Like, is there any risky things? Like, yeah, let's go create, let's go to Vegas kind of crazy. Tynan would say going to Vegas is a very safe bet, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to the strip, you know, I don't feel qualified to really, you know, talk about investments outside of crypto. I don't really make that many, you know, myself. So if it was my money and the goal was to try and generate the most, try and use that money to generate the highest return, I would put it to work in, in crypto. Okay. I would probably take half of it and throw it into something like Ethereum with the belief that a lot of the financial infrastructure that exists in the world is going to consolidate down into Ethereum. Ethereum is going to absorb a lot of the activity and volume that is currently dispersed across hundreds of different payment rails and you know networks out there, right? I mean, every country has their own payment system. Every country has their own, you know, system for moving around, you know, stock trades, right? I mean, it's very, very fragmented, right? We don't have a, we really don't have a, with the exception of like wire transfers and, you know, things like swift messaging, right? Like we just don't have like global payment infrastructure, right? So that's what's so great about blockchain is that it naturally adopts, you know, the characteristics of the internet. So it's just inherently global and 24 seven. And so if you put something like Ethereum on the internet, right, it just naturally it will naturally absorb a lot of that fragmented, you know, volume and activity out there. So I would take, yeah, let's say 50% of that and bet on that happening. Cause I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. I would save the other 50% and I would wait because the market's pretty, the valuations are starting to get pretty high right now. I would wait until at some point in 2022, right? When things calm down, let's say hypothetically, right? And then I would put that 500k to work on things that I think are on the dominant themes for the next three to five years, whether it's DAOs or some of the interesting stuff that's happening in DeFi. Right? I would just I would try and bet on the next wave, right? And then let my Ethereum, you know, grow over time slowly. That's probably what I would do with it. Not particularly complicated. No, it's funny. Even with business, people are like, "Tell me the secret." I'm like, "The secret is you work hard." And you keep improving and you do it for a long time. <laughs> At the end of the day, it, it does kind of boil down to that. Sometimes, though, I do feel like a lot of this crypto stuff is like pumps and dumps, pump and dumps and like house of cards. It's like, okay, this new monetary 
system, let's say Polkadot or some of these ones that people are talking about. I'm like, this is worth $40 billion in the past year. And obviously they've been working on these protocols and these different tokens, but you ask them like, okay, like I met with people and they're very cool, very nice people. And I was like, so tell me about Polkadot. Like it's uh, it's got governance. Okay. It's got staking or something. Okay. And I'm like, what does it do? Oh, it's the underlying layer. And then I'm like, it's $40 billion and it's not really clear what it does. And then the DeFi stuff, I feel is like, yeah. So some of it's like pumping up where everyone's like, oh, I'm buying this one. Everyone's buying Shiba, go buy that. And then is it all just going to fall apart? Like, I do think like ETH and Bitcoin, I'm like, okay, I can see these. A lot of the other stuff, and I've bought in some of them, like VeChain and I bought Dot and I bought some of these ones as like, you know, kind of more fun uh, lottery tickets. How have you thought about that? I'm going to use your words, right? There's no magic formula for success, right? It's usually hard work compounded over a long timeline, right? Just look at like the elbow grease that went into building something like Bitcoin or Ethereum or Polkadot, right? Or a lot of these DeFi protocols, right? Like these are blockchain and Bitcoin is sort of the, you know, the amalgamation of like decades of, of innovation, right? Like, and a lot of those individual components were really hard things to create, right? Like cryptography just didn't, no one, you know, someone just didn't invent that overnight. You don't just fork, you don't just fork something and put it out there, right? You know, decades and decades of innovation resulted in blockchain and Bitcoin. And then Ethereum is a, you know, sort of a, you know, an evolution of all that, right? So these are not, these are not things that are easily created, right? There's an enormous amount of work that went into developing this. And it's not in the crypto community can't take full responsibility for it, right? You've got to go all the way back to the 50s to like identify some of these components that are very elegantly arranged, you know, to create things like blockchains and cryptocurrency, right? So so things that are really hard to build that people invest a lot of time in and that also have great timing, right? And I would argue that like, you know, the timing for blockchains and crypto couldn't have been more perfect, right? It, it came right as we were getting out of the financial crisis in 2008, right? There was this this narrative in the market that, you know, we can't trust the banks and we need something better, right? And so I think that, you know, people sort of were naturally open to a different narrative, right? So the timing for this technology couldn't have been better. I mean, a lot of these things these people are building, particularly DeFi, right? Like this stuff is really hard, right? Like we're trying to we're trying to create a standard for financial arrangements that have existed for thousands of years. Right? We're trying to create a software standard for something like that, right? Like this is not an easy problem to solve. So I look at things like that, right? That you know that are really hard to do that take a long time. Those are things that have staying power. I don't know if this is true, you know, statistically, right? But like kind of ballparkish, you know, like the shelf life of something once it's out in the market is I think related to how much work went into it, right? If you're a musician and you put in 10,000 hours, right? And you're amazing and you finally make it and you're a household name and you're selling a ton of records and someone shows, right? Like the odds of you just falling off, you know, one day, right? Unless you just really want to quit and not put out any more music, right? Or, you know, are probably not that high, right? You've worked so hard. There's so much there's so much talent and sweat equity that you have in that, right? Your staying power is higher because of all that work that went into right? all the compounding over over many, many years. But I think the same thing's true for a lot of these blockchain projects, right? Like if it truly is something that just sort of is a copy of something else, right? Like Shibu coin, right? It's probably just a fork of Doge, right? Like there's no new innovation that that went into that, right? It's not solving a problem, right? It's just it's capitalizing off a off a meme. And, you know, Elon Musk's, you know, SNL appearance, right? So the shelf life of 
that new cryptocurrency, right, is probably going to be really, really short because there's no innovation there. There's not a community around it, right? It really is just this sort of a get rich, get rich quick thing. I don't know the team behind that. I'm just using them as an example. Just based on the name alone, it just kind of sounds like a, you know, kind of a, a make a quick buck kind of thing. I like that though. That's a good way of putting it. It's just like, how much effort did it take to make? It's not always proportional, but then generally there's, there's some uh, correlation with that. Yeah. Two final things and we, we'll do another, another chat. How is it to quit your job? I think a lot of people aspire for that. I would like to say that I, you know, just ripped the bandaid off, but I didn't. It wasn't as clean as I probably would have dreamt it up. I had originally accepted a, well, let me give you a full show. One of my buddies who's in crypto reached out and we were having a conversation. And at the end of it, he said, Andy, you know, do you want to help me out? And I immediately said, yes. And then after I said yes, and we had a few more conversations, then it was like, okay, then it became real, right? Like if I, if I actually want to do this, then I need to quit my job. And that's when the, you know, I really had to sort of make the decision. I wish that I was one of these rip the bandaid off guys, right? Where I just sort of followed my gut and, you know, didn't think twice, but I get stuck in my own head. I mean, I went back and forth for weeks. I committed to him, then I decommitted, then I recommitted again. And then I actually ended up not taking that job at all because once I accepted it and put in my two weeks at work, I just didn't have the right, I didn't, I didn't feel right about it. I knew that leaving EY was the right move, but um, I wasn't sure that joining my buddy's company was. He's going to be wildly successful, by the way. So anyway, so yeah, it, it wasn't clean. I mean, it was really messy, but I guess being a couple of weeks removed from it, I know that it was the right move. It just took me a long time, I think, to admit to myself what I really wanted to do. I think that's probably it, right? Like, I just, I don't think I had the, I don't think I had the confidence or just sort of the, the arrogance to just say, yep, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. I don't care. You know, I wish I had more of that. I think all of us do. I think there's, you know, that quote, it's like when you finally realize that everyone else doesn't know, like you can be okay with it. I find some peace with that. Like someone said a quote to me recently, it was this woman on an airplane. She's like, if everyone stopped thinking that they were the most important person in the world, we could all have peace within 24 hours. I was like, I like you. That. Yeah. I like you. Are you single? She's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm 65 and married. Like, <laughs> Take me as your stepson. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I guess we all make decisions differently too, and over different people. And it, it's, I guess it's fascinating with conviction. Right. Like, I think there's definitely times where I'm like, man, I wish I had this crazy conviction to go all in on something. And it's like, well, I have. It's just apps. It's not just it's AppSumo. And this other stuff, it's just it's that's just not it's not my realm. And I'm OK. It's like being I think I'm being OK with that. We talked about like how much is enough and then being OK. Like, hey, is this lately this past few weeks? I'm like, we're on a planet in space trying to figure this out and trying to you know make the most meaning in, in, in each of our lives. Sometimes the, the, the pursuit of money, I have to remind myself, like, Okay, you're gonna have money, and then it's gonna be digits. Maybe it'll be something even in the future, but you still probably might die. So just be mindful of uh, how we allocate the time more so than just the money. At least that's kind of my mindset these days. Still get the best of me with you know, oh, this is gonna go up. I need to do something about it. Yeah, you. I think you have a great perspective. Um, I aspire to be more like that as well. It's really I find it very hard in times like this when there's so much noise. A year ago, you know, the market was way was much quieter, at least in crypto. And it was so much easier to like focus on the things that mattered. Now there's so much noise. It's so easy to get distracted, right? Like our brains just can't, we're not built to have, to handle this much stimulation. We're not. I think it's interesting to notice the days that we're checking Twitter or the stock market or the crypto market or like the whatever, and the days that we're not. And I do think I find more peace when it's just like, hey, I've made the decisions that I think are best long-term and I have, I do a lot of auto buys and it's just like, 
go focus on the things that matter and then just talk to smart people like yourself and learn some other cool stuff. I think that's a winning strategy. I, I try and do the same thing. I do. I got a rock, man. I told the buddy he's uh, going to go get breakfast. Where are you guys going to next in Boise? Salt Lake City. Oh, dude. Do you like Salt Lake? I've never been. It's awesome. I think Salt Lake City is highly underrated. Okay. The food game's pretty good, but it's got like gorgeous scenery. So clean. Everyone's extremely friendly. If you go to a bar, they wear name tags. Really? Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, hello, Betsy. I'd like uh, Shirley Temple. Yeah, just a great place. Good vibes. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That's, I mean, that, that's been our experience here in Boise, too. Everybody's super nice. Scenery's beautiful. Weather's been great. So Salt Lake seems like it'll be more of the same. Yeah, I'm curious the comparison. Because like Sun Valley, I know it's like bougie. and like, But they still have really good mountain biking. So that's been on my short list either like in the next few years to go visit. I've heard good things. This weekend, we're going to McCall, which is two hours, roughly two hours north of Boise. And it's supposed to be the Lake Tahoe of Idaho. It's somewhat of a kept secret outside of Idaho. I think a lot of people, a lot of, I've heard a lot of people, you know, a lot of locals talk about it, but um, I had never heard about it from anybody outside of Idaho before. That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as I did. If you want to go check out and learn more about Andy, it's AJ Beal on Twitter or his newsletter is 30,000feet.substack.com. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog. Let's go to the beach and build a sandcastle together. I don't know what, what voice that is. Anyways, before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. Do people still listen to podcasts? Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, which I already told you. You already know that. That's youtube.com slash okdork. And if you're a creator or you want to be a creator, go promote your software, book, or courses on appsumo.com slash sell. We're paying out literally over $50,000 a day to creators. I might quit my day job and just go be a creator and promote on appsumo.com slash sell. You should too. Final couple shout outs to my amazing team. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com. I don't even want to tell you his URL, so you can't hire him and steal him from me. He's all mine, not yours. Just kidding. Jason's for everyone. He'll do your editing or your shows. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, Hubert, Jonathan, and Sasa, and Jen from the Dork team. I love y'all. Let's have a barbecue. And finally, shout out to AppSumo's whole marketing team. You guys hit your Q2 customer goal six weeks early. Nick for leading that, Alona, and every other single one of y'all. You're doing amazing. Damn, good job. Have an incredible day. What's your favorite flavor of gum? I don't care.